focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. And for this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our Friday reporters, Kwon Soa and Son Bogyang. Guys, welcome back. Happy Friday. Good to be here. All right, uh, we're going to start things off uh, with some uh, more uh, joint military drills here. Uh, South Korea, the United States, and Japan conducting uh, joint anti-submarine drills. This, of course, as we've been getting a lot of reports from some movements in the north, they've been uh, developing their nuclear power submarines. Marines, uh, they're the SLBMs and so forth. Uh, so, Pogyang, you're going to start things off for us. Uh, let's get the details of this. Sure. So, for the first time in five years, the naval forces of South Korea, the U.S., and Japan will stage their major trilateral anti-submarine exercises on Friday. So, I suppose they did it. According to the South Korean Navy, the trilateral anti-submarine exercise will be held or was supposed to be held in international waters off the Korean peninsula's east coast, which is about 150 kilometers away from Dokdo Island. In the past, there were times when South Korea and Japan conducted search and rescue drills for humanitarian purposes in the international waters of the East Sea. But it is rare that a Japanese fleet will be joining a drill in the waters close to Tokto. In this drill, the nuclear-powered USS Annapolis submarine will be assumed as a North Korean submarine loaded with a SLBM or submarine-launched ballistic missile. And the three countries' navies will track down the submarine, exchanging information and checking interoperability. This drill will be a one-day exercise, and to some extent, the three countries' navies will be competing against each other to be the first in finding the mock submarine. The last time the three countries held a trilateral drill was back in 2017 to cope with the SLBM threats back then. And being the first trilateral drill in five years, it doesn't mean that the purpose of joining the drill is the same for all three countries. For instance, the purpose of the drill for the Japanese naval forces is to strengthen cooperation with the South Korean and U.S. navies and to realize a free and open Indo-Pacific region, whereas the focus of the drill for South Korea is to improve capability to respond to increasing North Korean submarine threats, including its submarine-launched ballistic missiles, at a time when it consistently poses nuclear and missile threats with a series of ballistic missile tests. It's also not known yet whether an image or a video of the three countries' naval ships rising side by side will be disclosed to the public. Experts say that the public may have a rather subtle sentiment for a joint drill of these three countries. There are also talks that maybe after this, this exercise, there could be more discussions on reviving the Gisomia. The exercise will include the USS Ronald Reagan, the flagship of Carrier Strike Group 5, the missile cruiser USS Chancellorsville, the Arleigh Burke-class guided missile destroyer USS Benfold, and so on, as well as South Korean Navy's Munmu, the Great Destroyer. Yeah, I was kind of uh, looking through uh, some of the updates on this uh, joint military exercise, but there's not a lot of updates. And actually, there is a lack of uh, updates, and I think there is a reason for why there is no information going out, just because, you, uh, like you said, I mean, there's no, it's not known whether there's an image of the three countries' naval ships uh, rising side by side, anything 
anything like that. I think they're trying to keep it uh, as secretive as possible. And of course, uh, whether or not uh, North Korea, knowing that the three sides are going to be taking are taking place part in this joint naval exercise, will they conduct another provocation? Uh, is another question. But um, in related news, again, North Korea uh, highly likely in defiance against these joint military drills that Pogyong just uh, talked about. Uh, they launched another pair of short-range ballistic missiles into the EC on Thursday, and this happened actually after our show, so we could not uh, update you guys on this. But, uh, I mean, this is just, what is it, a day after we talked about the, the Wednesday's uh, short-range ballistic fi uh, missile firing that we had uh, the, the breaking news on, right? Right. So North Korea seems really to be in a testing mood, having conducted three rounds of missile tests in less than a week. So the latest happened on Wednesday and before that on Sunday. And now we're talking about this Thursday launch. So the latest act just occurred around an hour after our program ended yesterday. According to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the North fired two short-range ballistic missiles from the Suncheon area in Pyongan Namdo province between 8.48 p.m. and 8.57 p.m. into the East Sea. The projectiles flew some 350 kilometers at an altitude of around 50 kilometers and at top speeds of Mach 5. South Korean and U.S. intelligence authorities were said to be analyzing the latest missile launches for further details. The missiles are believed to have been fired from a transporter erector launcher and might have been similar ones as the SRBMs fired back in May, I think it was May 12th to be exact, which flew around 360 kilometers at an altitude of roughly 90 kilometers and the same top speed at Mach 5. So pretty similar. Yeah. Uh, to put the range into perspective, if launched southwards from Pyongyang, South Korea's Chungcheongnamdo province's Kerungde could be within target, and Kerungde is a military complex of Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines. Now, different from back then in May, um, back then we had uh, North Korea firing three missiles in one a minute in an apparent move to boast its uh, capability of back-to-back -back firings, but this time that was not the case because, as I said, these happened between 8.48 and 8.57 p.m. So they took more time to launch these two missiles. Yeah, and I'm glad you put the uh, the range into perspective here because I mean, if that could travel as far as uh, Chungcheongnamdo, then that also means that it can travel the distance towards uh, Pyeongtaek, where the, the the U.S. forces Korea mm -hmm. and the the, uh, the U.S. military base is located as well. But what's been the the government's response to uh, the latest provocation from North Korea? Right, uh, following the launch, uh, right after a National Security Council emergency meeting was held. It was presided by National Security Advisor Kim Song-han. And officials there assessed the situation as being grave, with North Korea having fired multiple missiles in such a short period of time, uh, especially while U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris was in South Korea and while the joint military drills are being held this week. And uh, these two factors are also seen by experts as the reason for the North's recent threats. And uh, the officials also saw the need for continued preparedness against possible further firings that could include submarine-launched ballistic missiles. 
The national security adviser and other security officials reportedly also mentioned possible tougher sanctions against the North in cooperation with the international community. And uh, a virtual meeting was also held between uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman General Kim Seung-gyum and General Paul La Camera, the commander of the South Korea U.S. Combined Forces Command. And the JCS told reporters after that meeting in a message that the recent series of the North's ballistic missile launches is an act of quote-unquote significant provocation, adding it's a clear violation of UNSC resolutions. So what we're looking at right now, we had on Sunday, we had uh, one short-range ballistic missile being fired. Uh, this right before, of course, the joint military-naval uh, exercise that was supposed to happen with USS Reagan coming in. Uh, and then we had one on Wednesday, which was right before uh, Kamala Harris's visit to South Korea. And then we had another uh, pair of missiles, uh, of course, uh, being fired after uh, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris left South Korea. So, I mean, the biggest thing is the fact that, I mean, two short-range ballistic missiles into the EC, two consecutive days. Let's kind of get a deeper look into this. Uh, Pogyang, you, you have more on this. Right. So, as you said, North Korea, uh, well, North Korea fired again two short-range ballistic missiles into the East Sea on Thursday, which is already the third of such provocation in less than a week. According to the Joint Chief of Staff, the South Korean military detected the launches from the Suncheon area in South Pyongan province between 8.48 p.m. and 8.57 p.m. on Thursday. And despite such launches, North Korea's state-controlled media, including the Korea Central News Agency and Dodong Shimun, they all stayed silent over the launch. And pundits say that the launch of the missiles is to protest against the remarks which was made by U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris, who denounced North Korea during her visit to Seoul. She back then strongly condemned North Korea by saying, quote, North Korea is a country with a brutal dictatorship, an illegal arms program, and rampant human rights violations. Normally, North Korea state media would report any missiles that were launched by the regime. However, since last May, this is a new habit or new trend. So regardless of its missile launch being successful or not, the regime has been silent over any provocations it has carried out. That's right. And uh, we talked about even uh, throughout the week uh, reasons for why North Korea might be silent uh, as opposed to, you know, going all over KCNA and Nodong Shimun in regards to, you know, the nuclear, their uh, missile development and what kind of missiles they use. But uh, in regards to the back-to-back -back days of two ballistic, uh, short-range ballistic missiles being fired towards the East Coast, uh, what's been the overall response from South Korea? Right. So according to Seoul's foreign ministry, special representative for Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs, Kim Kon, spoke individually with his U.S. and Japanese counterparts, Song Kim and Takehiro Funakoshi, on Thursday following the North's launch of two short-range ballistic missiles. Kim and his counterparts shared serious concerns about the recent provocations as the North fired two short-range ballistic missiles for the second straight day. The three diplomats also strongly condemned the launches as, quote, clear violations of UN Security Council resolutions that pose a threat to the Korean Peninsula and the world, and agreed to hold three-way phone talks soon to have in-depth discussions on the North Korea's provocations. And Kim made the calls from the South Korean embassy in France as he was staying there to hold a meeting with the French Director General for Political and Security Affairs, Philippe Herrera. 
Both Kim and Herrera shared the idea that North Korea is heightening tensions on the Korean peninsula with its legislation of the nuclear policy and missile launches. Both parties agreed to strengthen cooperation to tackle the North Korean-related threats. And this high-level meeting on North Korea held between South Korea and France was first launched in 2017. So, you know, I was saying this uh, just yesterday that, uh, what was it, uh, when North Korea test-fired their the the first this week, uh, meaning Sunday, right? Whether mm-hmm. you call Sunday the first day of the new week, whatever. Uh, it was like the first in like four months or something like that. It was it was relatively quiet, and it was unusual in that North Korea was just firing missiles left and right all throughout this year, right? And, and it was it, it was an unusually high number. Uh, but the fact now, I think the biggest question, and another thing we've been talking about for some time, and then it kind of disappeared, was nuclear. whether or not, yeah, yes, exactly, whether or not North Korea is going to be test, testing their seventh nuclear test, right? So, you know, we had that kind of, uh, what was it? The, uh, it was, I think, the the South Korean intelligence, uh, they were saying that it was going to be sometime in uh, October. 17th or something? Yeah, they, yeah. They had a specific uh, time frame, right? Right. And then that was, again, I mean, I don't know why they specifically chose those dates, but if it does happen, if the seventh nuclear test does happen, I think North Korea knows this. I think South Korea knows this. The United States knows this as well. There's no turning back. Uh, and uh, again, I'm really dreading that it, it could blow into something even bigger, especially because uh, there's so much uh, geopolitical tension going around in different parts of the world where it could get involved with China and Taiwan and and so forth. And so um, we're, we're certainly hoping that, uh, that the provocations just kind of end with uh, the missile test that we're seeing here. But uh, we'll, we'll keep a close eye on the development on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, let's talk about uh, domestic politics. Uh, we, we actually rarely jump into domestic politics, but uh, something as big as this, I guess we're going to talk about it. Uh, The main opposition Democratic Party uh, passing a uh, motion that calls for the dismissal of Foreign Minister Park Jin, a no-confidence motion here. The the thing is, it's not legally binding, uh, although it does have great symbolic move into this. Uh, But the DP continues to hold Park responsible for what they call a diplomatic fiasco uh, during President Yoon Suk-yeol's latest overseas trip. So well, let's let's get more details on this. Sure. So the DP, which holds a majority of parliamentary seats, that's 169 out of 299, pushed through a motion through the National Assembly for the dismissal of Foreign Minister Park Jin. Uh, it was passed by 168 uh, for and one abstention. Uh, their aim is to make Park take responsibility for the so-called hot mic incident during President Yoon Suk-yeol stay in New York and the DP called it a diplomatic fiasco. Now, um, did we actually mention the background about this story itself? Not yeah. when I was here. Yeah, but we, we, we did talk about mm-hmm. this. Yeah, but uh, just remind our listeners once again what exactly happened, what this uh, controversy is all about. Okay, I won't go into the details, but uh, it's about an incident where uh, President Yoon Seok yeol was reportedly called, uh, caught with a vulgar language on a mic. and yeah, he was hot mic'd, yeah. Yes, and uh, the uh, PPP said uh, the ruling party that this is manipulated by a local broadcaster that subtitled the wordings without confirmation. So there is some controversy regarding this incident. 
Uh, now, yesterday, I didn't mention this, but um, when U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris was here, uh, she was also, I think, asked about this incident, and she actually said that uh, there is no problem with that with at the U.S. government, just to mention this from yesterday. Now, the ruling People Power Party boycotted the vote Thursday evening, and for a good reason, as the motion is not legally right. binding. And also the Justice Party also uh, boycotted mm-hmm. the, uh, the motion, yeah. And it's up to the president to make a decision. Now, DP floor leader Park Hong-gun said today, quote, if President Yoon Seok-yeol has respect for parliamentary democracy at the very least, he must accept the National Assembly's decision. Uh, but it's highly likely that President Yoon won't comply. No. President Yoon, in fact, told reporters on Thursday that Foreign Minister Park Jin is a, quote, remarkably capable person who is constantly on the move around the world for the sake of the national interest to the point that I'm worried about his health. Uh, He added, the people will be able to tell what's right or wrong. Uh, Foreign Minister Park also had a statement on Friday. Meanwhile, he rebutted accusations that President Yoon's overseas trip was a diplomatic fiasco, telling reporters that he cannot agree with that notion, criticizing the opposition for downplaying the recent presidential trip. Now, after the passage at the parliament, uh, Park said in a statement also that, now this is what I just mentioned is what he told reporters, Mm. and then there was also a statement that came out after the passage yesterday, and he said that now is not the time for political strife, and that he will do his best in pursuing diplomacy for the nation's interest and its people. Yeah, this whole thing was just really the biggest topic of discussion uh, here in Korea right now until obviously North Korea started, you know, firing away uh, their missiles once again because they decided, you know, it was whether or not he said it or, you know, President uh, Yoon said it or did not say it. And then, uh, you know, some people kind of uh, took out the background sounds and things like that. And then they proved that he said it or not. But, you know, the, the presidential office still says, no, it's a misunderstanding. You can't really. And it's to be honest with you, it really is kind of hard to listen to clearly what he said. Uh, but the DP also, they did cite, uh, of course, uh, President Yoon's uh, lack of participation at the uh, the funeral of uh, Queen Elizabeth II, which I believe there were some uh, kind of uh, issues with that as well. But uh, again, it's not legally binding, uh, but it is symbolic. I I forget the last time something like this uh, happened. There's only been like about like four times uh, that something like this has happened in the past. But uh, nevertheless, I think it's something that's not going to uh, just and then, of course, the, the the main opposition Democratic Party is going to do all their they can to take this as an opportunity here. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, going into other uh, domestic uh, politics news here, former Education Minister Yi Ho tapped to reprise role in uh, Yoon's administration. So uh, fill us in on this, uh, Po Gyeong. Sure. So since former Education Minister Park Sune stepped down in August over the controversy provoked by her proposal to lower the age at which children should start elementary school. Now, President Yoon Seok-yeol has named another former education minister, Lee Ju-ho, who served a decade ago under the Lee Myung-bak administration to serve again in the role in his administration. The presidential office said on Thursday that Lee is the right person to lead the Yoon administration's education reforms, especially in the era of the digital transformation, based on his rich experience both in education and politics. In the meanwhile, the confirmation hearing for the health and welfare minister candidate 
Cho Kyu-hung, was also held on Tuesday, but the outcome of the hearing is yet to be released. Yeah, of course, and again, President Yoon Kun uh, still, uh, despite the fact that there might be some opposition, again, from the main opposition party, President Yoon can still uh, give it the green light here. And uh, it's really worth noting that uh, when it comes to the Yoon administration right now, it it's consists of some, you know, uh, former uh, officials from the Pakane administration and also from the former uh, Imyeongbak administration uh, as well. And uh, this is could be, again, a part of uh, President Yoon's push to kind of bring about more of the, the, the true conservative voters uh, once the, uh, the general elections take place uh, in 2024, I believe. Uh, guys, let's talk about, well, we have other big news to talk about here. Uh, of course, anytime we talk about the economy, there's certainly a lot of things happening happening here uh, but some positive note for a change right uh, we've been talking about a lot of negative news uh, when it comes to the economy at least for South Korea uh, they've been added to the watch list for potentially being included on the FTSE world uh, government bond index so what does this mean for the country if they're to be included on this uh, list? Well, the FTSE Russell Group manages the World Government Bond Index, or WGBI, and it's one of the world's three major bond indexes. And South Korea may become part of some dozen countries, uh, some two dozen countries, that uh, some I think it was 24 or 23, that are currently included in the index. A nation's eligibility is determined based upon market capitalization and investability criteria. Now, South Korea has now been added to the watch list by FTSE Russell on Thursday, which is considering a raise of Seoul's market accessibility to level two and an inclusion in the WGBI, uh, which may happen next year. And a final decision comes in September next year. So it's going to be, I guess, exactly around a year from now. And uh, the group said in a statement that this follows announcements by South Korean market authorities of several purposed initiatives intended to improve the market structure and the accessibility of South Korean capital markets. And it added that FTSE Russell plans to gather feedback from market participants. So what does this mean though for Korea to be joining this index. It helps lure massive foreign investment. According to an estimate by the Korea Institute of Finance, 50 to 60 trillion won, so that would be even close to 42 billion US dollars worth of global funds would flow into the domestic market. Currently, South Korea and India are the only countries among the world's 10 largest countries based on nominal GDP that are not included on the double WGBI list. So I believe it's uh, maybe about time. Meanwhile, in separate news, but also something positive for the country, South Korea's finance minister Chu Kyung-ho has been elected as the chair for the Asian Development Bank Conference for 2023, which is an annual event and it's going to be uh, take place in May next year. And this decision was made during a two-day ADB annual congress, which was held on Wednesday to Thursday in Manila, the Philippines. Korea has so far hosted the event two times, once in Seoul and once in Jeju Island. And can you guys guess where it's going to be held next year then? Your, your, uh, your second home city of Busan? No, actually not. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good guess. And the reason you're saying this, people would think I, I'm from Busan now. No, she's it's not. Just, I've, been, I've been going to Busan a lot these days. But next year is going to be Incheon Songdo. <laughs> so the ADB, oh, makes sense. Yeah, the ADB serves as promoting and supporting 
economic and social development in the Asia-Pacific region countries. Yeah, and I think this is a big news. Obviously, nothing is set on stone at this time. Uh, they've just been included in the watch list, and it takes mm -hmm. an entire year for them to uh, be given the green light or the red light or so forth. But I think this is big news because uh, over the past few months, uh, some of the news that we've been covering is a lot of these lawsuits involving like Google, uh, mm -hmm. Apple, and things like that. And so it's good that South Korea has won a lot of these lawsuits. And Lone Star is the other big thing, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about this with Lone Star. Uh, sure, what was it? Uh, Lone Star, I believe, uh, is only going to get a very small percent, something like 4% of what they had initially asked for. And so the thing with this is when you have lawsuits like this happen uh, to foreign investment companies, uh, then it's going to basically scare away a lot of foreign investments into South Korea. And so having been included uh, into this FTSE World Government Bond Index, obviously it's going to attract more foreign investment and... Uh, a lot of money being poured into uh, South Korea for obvious reasons here. Uh, another thing that we've been looking at uh, very carefully has been the uh, the stock market here. Certainly has been a very, very bearish market. Uh, Pogyang, tell us, how did the uh, the stock market look like uh, today? Sure. So early Friday, Kospi, or the Korea Composite Stock Price Index, maintained a rather unstable 2,160 level throughout the day. But then Kospi dropped 15.44 points, or 0.71%, and closed at 2,155. 5.49. The Friday figure is the lowest closing since the 2150.25 points on July 10th, 2020. And institutions bought a net of 109 billion won, foreigners purchased 163 billion won, while retail investors sold 281 billion won. And overnight, the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 1.54%, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite also fell 2.84%. Now, the background for the tumbling prices. And even though the strong dollar seems to be somewhat slightly relieving, but still the uh, Fed members are still continuing to say that uh, hawkish comment, making hawkish comments. And there were also other factors such as uh, the share prices of Apple falling 4.9% on Thursday. That's because the Bank of America analysts delivered the stock a rare downgrade. And analysts lowered their rating from buy to neutral and also cut its price target from $185 to $160 per share. And the reason for that is because they anticipated weaker consumer demand over the next year and also pointed to macroeconomic challenges. And also the Cleveland uh, Fed head, Loretta Mester, she also said that the government has to again raise the base interest rate in order to contain inflation and that this is not the sufficient level. So all these factors are contributing to the tumbling prices of the stock market both in the U.S. and in South Korea. And also experts say that all these negative news of individual companies can also affect the macro economy and that's why this can also affect the South Korean economy as well. Like, this is getting out of hand right now because um, 
So right now, like you said, I mean, the, the dollar has eased slightly, okay? It's, it's barely even made like, uh, you know, I guess uh, barely went down a little bit here. But the fact is, again, if they're going to continue, whether they're really saying that they're, I, 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 now I'm starting to be skeptical whether or not they're really increasing the rates because they want to, uh, I guess, ease the inflation and things like that, because it's getting out of hand and it's impacting every single world currencies right now I, you know there needs to be some kind of regulation in regards to this because i mean uh, you mean the korean one you talked about we talked about the yen uh yen's another uh, major uh currency that's been impacted heavily because of this the british sterling has been impacted by this the euro the yen everything's being impacted the mm -hmm. only one that's of course going hooray hooray right now is the u.s dollar and uh, i mean this is going to again impact the world economy uh, in, in the ways that we've never seen before. Uh, another thing that we have to uh, be concerned about is uh, gas prices here. We're talking about natural gas. Uh, gas prices for households will be increased by almost 16%. This is starting tomorrow. So uh, let's get the details of this. Sure. So starting next month, which is already tomorrow, if you believe it or not, electricity and uh, gas prices will go up. So that's... Uh, the gas prices and electricity prices for the fourth quarter from October to December. The government made this decision as prices of raw materials are skyrocketing across the world. Uh, the Ministry of Trade, Industry and Energy said that this hike reflects soaring global natural gas prices and also a recent surge in the $1 exchange rate. And uh, especially as Russia could withhold natural gas supply in the ongoing war in Ukraine, things may look even worse in the near future. So by how much will prices go up is probably what the regular people want to know of. So commercial use will be increased by 2.71 per megajoule, which is up 15.9% or almost 16% for households and 16.4% for commercial use uh, for restaurants and lodging, for instance. Now, the Korea Electric Power Corporation said that it uh, will additionally raise uh, the price of electricity by 2.51 per kilowatt hour and this already uh, in addition to the already decided raise of 4.91 per kilowatt hour and uh, so for an average family of four people that would mean they would pay 2,271 more per month for electricity doesn't and, sound like a lot mm, and 5,401 per month for gas and uh, an official mentioned that if we consider that energy demand increases in the winter season and in the possibility of Russia limiting, putting limit to its natural gas mm -hmm. supply, the energy crisis may even continue yeah, for yeah. a longer period of time. Absolutely. And uh, this is why the government has come up with energy saving measures. And yes, it will try to start with saving energy with, quote, extraordinary determination. And uh, yes, that's the gist of it. You're going to have to uh, start wearing those uh, thick jackets at <laughs> home and... Uh take cold showers instead of the hot showers and stuff like that. No, it, oh, that helps? 
No, yeah, I mean, no, a lot of, for us, at least, I mean, in my house, like, much of the, the gas that we're using at this time is because of the hot water that mm. we use, right? Mm. And so... Uh, oh, that's what you meant. I thought you meant if you shower in cold water, then you will feel warmer after no, the no, shower. No, no, that's no. what I was thinking. No, we can't, we can't take showers. Uh, okay, hot showers okay. is the problem is what we're going to do. Uh, but uh, just end up just wearing thick jackets and stuff like that. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, Patrick Pierzer says the problem is that almost all currencies are based on U.S. dollar. Would be better to go back to gold and silver. Uh, that's actually the reason why uh, the creator of Bitcoin created Bitcoin in the first place, because he or she believed that the U.S. dollar is just way too powerful. Uh, we're going to go into some Russia-related news here. Putin signing a decree to declare independence, incursion, and Zaprosia. Uh, let's okay, let's talk about the process of this and when is this exactly happening? Right. So Vladimir Putin has signed decrees that will allow for the occupied Ukrainian regions of Kherson and Zaporizhia to be formally annexed into Russia. Putin is expected to sign into law the annexations of the four Ukrainian regions. As you all know, it's Kherson, Zaporizhia, Donetsk, and Luhansk. And as you know, Russia already held fake referendums over the last week in order to claim those regions. And the outcome of those referendums, according to Kremlin, was more than 90% support to become part of Russia. I heard some media outlets saying even 99% of support. Yeah. And Thursday night's decrees will recognize Kherson and Zaporizhia as independent territories, meaning that this is a step needed so that Putin can go ahead with his plans to unilaterally declare on Friday that they are part of Russia. In February, Putin already recognized the independence of the self-proclaimed republics of Donetsk and Luhansk. And by signing the treaties today, annexing the territories in occupied Ukraine can heighten the tensions of the war in Ukraine. And you might remember that Putin has said he's ready to defend those territories using all available means, which could also indicate that he would be willing to resort to a nuclear strike if necessary. Response from the world about the annexation, for instance, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres told reporters, quote, any decision to proceed with the annexation of Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson and Zaporizhia regions of Ukraine would have no legal value and deserves to be condemned. In the meantime, uh, something else that uh, we've been talking about this week, we got some updates, hopefully. The Nord Stream gas pipeline leaks, uh, whoever is responsible for it, uh, we don't know just yet. It's predicted to continue to next week, so you have more on this. Yes, uh, the Nord Stream pipelines that transport natural gas from Russia to Germany, as we know, started to leak on Wednesday following explosions that were detected in the Baltic Sea. And analyses say until October 3rd, leaks are expected to continue. Now, as you said, we still don't know who's responsible for that, but uh, there are some recent uh, statements made, for instance, by the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. He said it's still too soon to speculate who might have been behind this. And then uh, also an official in Sweden, the Swedish energy minister, said that it is likely that it's been done deliberately and it's not by accident. And it's probably a state that might have done it. And Russia continues to blame 
other European countries. So we still don't know the mystery behind this. But what's really concerning is that officials estimate some 300,000 metric tons of methane have uh, gone into the atmosphere. So this could be terrible. Yeah, it could be the worst gas leak in history is Mm. what they say. That is terrible. I I mean, for many different reasons. But I mean, it's this whole he said, she said thing is getting out of hand right now. Because again, I mean, you have most of the countries, the Western countries, is blaming Russia and the Russia is now going no 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 we think it's it's, it's the United Sabotage, States yeah. yeah because the United States had sent something in re- regards to this right uh, yes Patrick Pierzer says Nord Stream who done it uh, and I'm sure you're going to be impacted heavily by it as uh, Patrick Pierzer uh, chiming in uh, over in uh, Germany uh, it's going to get rough with this whole natural gas situation during the winter time in Europe and uh, in many parts of the world including us here in South Korea because we did uh, because of the uh, the invasion in Ukraine we were getting most of our natural gas from Australia but that I think Australia doesn't want to uh, export any of those anymore as they're lacking their supply of natural gas. Uh, nevertheless, I will continue to keep a close eye on all these issues. Guys, thank you very much for coming in today with your stories and your uh, insights on some of these issues. Please stay safe and we'll see you again next week. Thank you. Have a good, Have weekend. A good weekend. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.